Welcome to Bottle Talk with Rick and Paul. I'm Rick Cushman. And I'm Paul Wagner. So, Paul, what do you think is the most expensive wine in the United States? I think that bragging about wine prices is really dumb. Yes, it is. But go ahead and guess. I'll give you a hint. It's number nine in the world. Uh, Screaming Eagle Napa Valley Sauvignon Blanc sells for about $6,000 a bottle. You're close, but eh, sells for $6,070 a bottle. <laughs> nice try. I'm giving you a B minus. <laughs> Is there a point to this, Rick? <laughs> yeah, I, I want to talk about Sauvignon Blanc, and I, I thought I'd let it do a little bragging. Yeah, well, you know, the if you want to brag about Sauvignon Blanc, you might want to brag about the fact that there's a lot of pretty good Sauvignon Blancs that are not very expensive. That's that, a more interesting thing. That is true, my grade-deprived friend. Uh, your grade just went up to a B. <laughs> well, we'll explain why that is and lots more about Sauv Blanc today. Also today, listeners ask, how long to store wine? Uh, when can they send a wine back at a restaurant? And what's the deal with those egg fermenters in some wineries, besides the fact they're just adorable? <laughs> uh, plus, our horrible wine writing is edgy with notes of Korean melon. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> and as usual, we'll be making fun of wine snobs. By the way, you won't find wine snobs at Capital Public Radio's podcast lineup, Paul, because you know why? Because we're on there. We're on there, and we're scaring right the rest there, of them off. Right there next to the big names. Yeah, yeah. That's They are embarrassed about that, actually. Well. Um, but thank you to Capital Public. Public Thank you. For that. That's yep. right. We are also on Napa Broadcasting Network. Comes out of your Napa Valley College. Napa Valley College, where the viticulture and enology program is absolutely killer. Despite the fact you teach classes. In that. <laughs> exactly yeah. right. Yes. And look for us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Our handle is at Rick and Paul Wine. Go there, ask us a question anytime, or as some people have done, send us bad reviews. Yes. Yeah, we love those. We love the bad yep. Notes. Yep. notes. Not bad reviews of us, by the way, just <laughs> badly written reviews. Yeah, Rick, we'll take anything. All right. That's yeah, true. Uh, so before we get to actual useful information, I thought, just in case anybody wanted to know about some of those most expensive wines, in case they got a bar bet going or something. Oh, this is going to be great. Yep, yep, yep. I knew you'd like it. Uh, according, <laughs> so according to Wine Search's latest stats, the most expensive current wine, not old wines, because those can be all over the map for auctions, yes. is a Domaine de la Romani Conti, sorry. A.K.A. D.R.C. D.R.C. Domaine de la Romani Conti. Sorry, I got the stumble mouth. Uh, it's there at twenty thousand four hundred and five dollars per bottle. That's a Burgundy, by the way. Uh, four hundred and five, not four hundred, but no. twenty thousand well, four hundred and five. Well, it's exchange rate with the euro. Ah, there you go. Yeah, I'm I thought sure. it was just they were trying to squeeze every yeah. penny they could get out of it. Well, that too. All right. Yeah. Yep. Um, yes. So, and uh, after the Screaming Eagle Sauvignon Blanc at number nine in the world list, the next American wine checks in at twenty seventh, and it's the Screaming Eagle Napa Valley Cabernet with a bargain price of thirty five hundred dollars. And those are the only two U.S. wines in the top fifty. However. If you go to the you, the most expensive in the United States, uh-huh. those two are at the top. Uh-huh. The next is a uh, what is it's the Harlan Estate uh, Cabernet, thousand uh, dollars and change. And in fact, all twenty five are uh, Napa Valley Cabernets, uh, twenty five most expensive U.S. Uh-huh. except one Chardonnay, uh-huh. twenty for number twenty. It's the Consgard for five hundred fifty dollars a bottle. It's a bargain. Were we going to talk about Sauvignon Blanc, Rick? Yes, yes. I was just amusing myself. Yeah. Well, um, why don't we amuse somebody else for a while? <laughs> so we should end the show? <laughs> All right. Let's talk about our let's talk about our, our history of our little green friend, Sauvignon Blanc. Yes. Well, Sauvignon Blanc, famously found in the Loire Valley in France and in Bordeaux, uh, both. 
And when you see, for example, Sancerre or Quincy, which you may pronounce Quincy, <laughs> um, or Puy Fumé, all of those are Sauvignon Blancs. Yep. And um, and they're lovely. The the name, by the way, uh, which I've always liked, it makes sense. It's Savage White. And that's because it's slept around a lot. No, it's not. No, it is. It, it's the parent of Cabernet yes. Sauvignon with Cab Franc. It, it, it was a player. Yeah, no, it just happens to grow um, vigorously. That's why they call it Sauvignon uh, Blanc. Uh, okay. And it's everywhere, though, isn't it? Yes. Um, as you know, New Zealand makes wonderful stuff. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. you can also get great Sauvignon Blanc. Chile, South Africa, northern Italy, lots of places in the U.S. It is one of the more widely planted grapes in the world. Not quite the big player of Cabernet Sauvignon or Chardonnay, but up there, up there. Yeah, it's... Um you know, it's a it's a big seller too now, and in fact, I know you know it used to be used to be that you you went in and you ordered a glass of white wine and it meant Chardonnay, mm-hmm. then you ordered a glass of white wine and it meant Pinot Grigio. Now it it, it often <laughs> well, means for, Sauvignon Blanc. Sauvignon for Blanc. years, yeah. Sauvignon Blanc was number two after Chardonnay. Yeah, yeah. So it you know it's still a, an important player, and it does come in a big wide range of flavors. You can get those really bright, nervy sort of Sauvignon Blancs from New Zealand. Uh, the ones from France are at times really quite elegant. And then you get the ones from California that get a little riper. They can be almost tropical. So yeah. lots of different styles. Yummy stuff. Yeah. And um, and, and af- despite your opening to this show, affordable prices. Yeah. And I think there's, there's one of the reasons I do like about it. I mean, there's a saying that all the real, the real winemaking in Sauvignon Blanc is done in the vineyards. And that it is, it's a relatively simple wine to make. And so, you know. It's Usually the, it's not aged in oak. Or right. if it is very sh- short period of time, cold fermented, just capture the fruit, put it in the bottle, and drink it with seafood, drink it with roast chicken, drink it with all sorts of salad. It's, it's great. Yeah. Yep. And, and uh, the, remember, I think we've had a question not so long ago about Fumé Blanc and Sauvignon Blanc. Uh-huh. And, we uh, didn't answer that one either, did we? I don't we? think we did. No. Not well. Uh, be, the reason was is because there's no clear difference between the well, two of them. That's Although, what we always say about all our answers. <laughs> that's true. Would you people ask us something easy? <laughs> and, of but, course, in Bordeaux, you also get Sauvignon Blanc used as an element in one of the great dessert wines of the world, which is Sauternes. Yes, um, and the other wine, the other grape in there is Sauvignon, which is often blended with uh, Sauvignon Blanc and, mm-hmm. and Sauvignon Blanc yeah. in Bordeaux. Yep. White Bordeaux yep. would be uh, Sauvignon Blanc and Bordeaux. Sweet, I mean, Sauvignon. Yep. sweet and luscious. Yep, uh, those are some of the bases. I think the other thing actually that I always sort of you know I do these events where a lot of times I'll do a tastings where you get to taste a couple of different styles. One of the things is is if you like New Zealand Sauvignon Blanc. Or don't like New Zealand Sauvignon Blanc. One of the things is it's probably one of the most consistent styles in the world. Right. You know, if you yep. so if you're gonna like one, you're gonna like many of them. Yep. And if you don't yep. like them, you won't like many of them. Yep. So, um, and it's just a kind of like us. Who doesn't like us? <laughs> Except <laughs> for wine snobs. We're sweet and luscious. Yes, that's why people ask us questions, Paul. <laughs> and in fact, that's why we're gonna answer a couple right now. So okay. Thank you for listening to Bottle Talk and for liking us. Uh, despite Paul. <laughs> and and uh, if you'd like to ask us a question or send us uh, somebody's bad review, uh, go to rickandpaulwine.com or find us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter at, at Rick and Paul Wine. We are also on Ab- Apple Podcasts. Apple so Podcasts. This one comes from Christy in Reno, which is a really cool. simple question. Which Christy is, in Reno. Says, when can I send a wine back? And okay. That's an easy and a hard one. Yeah, well, the the simple basic rule is if there is a problem with either the 
cork or the way the wine has been stored, you can ask the waiter to take a smell of it and take a taste of it and explain that you think either it was stored badly or the cork has some mold on it because one way or the other, this wine doesn't taste the way it was supposed to taste and you can send it back. Yep. And it really is that, that is, as they say, you are tasting for quote unquote flaws, right? Tasting for for the fact that the wine doesn't taste the way the winemaker thought it was supposed to taste when it left the winery. Yeah. So, so in generally it means it's just because you, if you ordered a wine and you, and you don't happen to like it, that's not. No, although. There is, but there's an exception. Well, there is not only exception, there's also so just sort of a general rule. The exception is if you tell the sommelier or the waiter that you like Robert Mondavi Fumé Blanc and he says, well, we don't have that, but we got something you're going to like just as much. And he brings it to you and you don't like it very much. You're within your rights to say, wait a minute. To me, this doesn't taste like Robert Mondavi Fumé Blanc. So I think we better try something else. That's a legitimate concern. The other thing is, um, if you say to the waiter, gee, I don't know very much about these wines, but I think I'm going to go ahead and try this one, and he brings it to you, and you open it up, and, and he opens it up, and you drink it, and it really doesn't taste good to you, you can say to the waiter, you know, I realize I asked for this bottle, but it really doesn't taste good to me. Um, and a lot of times the restaurant, if they are concerned about your long-term business, they will take that bottle. They'll sell it by the glass. They may offer you something else or they may say, you know, maybe you'd be happier with a beer or something else. But sometimes restaurants will go ahead and, and fix that problem yeah, too. Generally, the more sophisticated but also less snobby the wine service is, the, the more likely that's to happen. The other thing too is if you're not sure if you taste a wine and really think maybe there's something wrong with it, yep. have them taste it too. Yeah. Yeah, there's yep. there's a there's a style of, of wine service I, I'm not particularly fond of because it's for me it just feels weird. But they will open the bottle and and taste it for you ahead in of front time. of you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, that seems a little weird. Um, yeah. But well, you just resent the fact that they're drinking. That's a some of my of wine right there, buddy. Right there. What are you doing? Give me that wine, wine back. Yes, Rick Spit has been out known, and right now Rick has been known to grab the glass yeah. right yeah. out of the waiter's hand yeah. and give me that. Yeah, so that you know, it's but but fundamentally, it's something something went wrong, or their or their recommendation went wrong. Went wrong. Yeah. Yep. All right. This one's from Henry in Oakland. Um, I had to read this through because uh, I, I kind of roll my eyes every time I read it. Um, okay. But well, I'll Henry, you you read it and I'll roll my eyes. Henry, you are a patient man. <laughs> Henry says, "What am I supposed to do when this happens?" We were waiting at a bar in a restaurant, and I ordered a glass of Chardonnay. The young bar guy seemed very earnest, but he said they don't carry any Chardonnay by the glass. I asked, why not? And he said, we don't think it's a good wine. <laughs> I know. Seriously. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Yeah. All Chardonnay everywhere. And unfortunately, that's a thing, right? Anyway, so we'll get to that in a minute. So he's, the, this is back to Henry. It wasn't worth the argument. So I said, how about something that's like a Chardonnay? Right. And he poured a Sauvignon Blanc from somewhere that wasn't anything close to any Chardonnay I've ever had. So besides stomping out, what am I supposed to do at that point? I think stomping out is an extremely good option in that particular scenario. First of all, you've got a guy who's telling you that um, uh, Chardonnay is not a good wine, which is a little bit like, I mean, I can't think of a stupider thing you can say about wine than that. I mean, first of all, it's the most popular white wine in the world. And if you were to make a list of the greatest white wines in the world, particularly 
if you're talking about Champagne, they're a big percentage Chardonnay. Burgundy, they're a big percentage Chardonnay. Your list of the most expensive wines Included in the world. A Chardonnay, the top one was right? a Chardonnay. So clearly it's not good wine. Yes. What an idiot. Yes. And then the real problem is when he asked for something that might be like a Chardonnay, he was given something that wasn't like a Chardonnay at all. Right. And that gets back to Christie and Reno. That's a perfect chance to say, I'm not paying for this because this doesn't taste like what I want it to taste. Yep. Now, the question is, if you were told that you couldn't pour a Chardonnay and yet you had to pour something for someone who liked Chardonnay, what would you pour? It's a good question. I would probably pour them some slightly warmer weather whites, like a Viognier if they had that or something like that. I was like going that. right there with Viognier myself. Yep. yep. But from a warmer climate, not... Yep. Yeah, a little softer, a little right. bigger, a little rounder, because that's what Chardonnay is. Right. It's not lean and tight Sauvignon Blanc. Right. So not only did the bar guy, was he an idiot, but when he tried to fix the problem, yeah. he made it worse. Yep. Uh, you know, the, I'd that's love a, to know what this is, because I'd love to call this bar and yeah, ask him what and the Yeah, go to the manager. You know, I mean, that's the case yeah, where yeah, you yeah, go yeah, to the yeah. manager and say, what is going on here? You yeah. Know? yeah. Um, and if the manager had any... Any idea was going on, and and uh, brings to mind knows, an right. experience I had once sitting next to a good friend who's a top-notch master sommelier, and we were listening to a guy present how he develops his restaurant wine list. This was talking to you. Oh, no, you were at dinner with in the guy an audience. Yeah. In oh. an audience. Oh, I got gotcha. Presentation. Gotcha. Yep. And the restaurateurs up there explaining that this is what they do. This blah 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 blah. And somebody in the audience raises his hand and says, so what do you do when somebody walks in and says, do you have any white Zinfandel? And the restaurateur says, I, uh, we just tell him we don't have white Zinfandel. And if you like white Zinfandel, we're not your kind of restaurant. Nice. And nice. There's the master really... sommelier sitting next to me turns to me and says, that's so stupid. Every restaurant I know has a few bottles of white Zinfandel under the counter, and when somebody comes in and says, I only really like white Zinfandel, any good restaurant will say to them, and you know what? We have a couple bottles just for you, sir. And they bring out the white yeah. Zinfandel, and what do you know? Customers happy, restaurants happy, and Everybody's happy and everybody's making money. Right. Way, way to drive away your customers because yes. you want to feel self-important. Yes. Right. You know, it, you're in the hospitality business. If you don't want to be in the hospitality business, don't open a restaurant. <laughs> or if you do want to open a restaurant and run it like that, then feel free to go broke. <laughs> exactly. Pretty much that's what you're going to Exactly. All right. Uh, well, speaking of uh, you know bad choices in wine, <laughs> coming coming up next is uh, some wi really bad wine writing where they made some really bad choices. Yep. Yeah, we got so we got a couple of Sauvignon Blanc descriptions from a site with a bunch of allegedly expert people. This is one of those sites when I'm bored, Paul. I I go to it, and <laughs> when you're not reading the Journal, the, journal of Neuropsychology or whatever, Journal of Pharmacology, my friend. Just don't you pay attention to any of our shows? <laughs> I do not. <laughs> okay, well, get a load so, of this review. So this, these are the guys that just overwrite everything. And the thing about Sauvignon Blanc, once again, it's this clean, clear, lovely wine that yep. does shouldn't take a whole bunch of description. Friendly. It's a friendly wine. Right. So, so let's start with this. Clear yellow straw color. Grassy green herbal, funky aromas of harissa, green apple, banana, jackfruit, papaya, ripe pineapple, 
and tropical fruits with a seamless, edgy, fat body and a very long bell pepper flint lemon wedge snipped chive and sliced apricot finish. A savory flamboyant Sauvignon Blanc with killer minerality for days. Okay. How do they know the chives were snipped? Or, or that the apricot was sliced. Well. A seamless, edgy, fat body. Those are sort of contradictory terms. Yeah, somehow seamless and edgy doesn't seem right. And I love the fact that it's got banana, jackfruit, papaya, pineapple, and, and tropical fruits. Yeah. I think there's only like two tropical fruits left after that. Because banana, jackfruit, papaya, and pineapple are, in fact, tropical fruits. But somehow Arisa got in there, which is a spice, a, a sauce, a spicy sauce. And the, killer yeah. minerality. Yeah. Killer so, minerality. Killer minerality for days. You know what killer minerality sounds like to me? It sounds like a Acid. No, somebody with a rock. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you want your millerality? Yeah. I got your millerality right here, buddy. So, and you know, so here's the thing: we we have <laughs> talked about this in the past, and the next one is going to be this way too. Is that that the you know human beings really can only pick up three or four flavors in anything there unless you, go. you really, 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 Grassy really, green, really herbal, work funky it. aromas of harissa. Marina, blah, so blah, the blah, fact blah, blah, that this okay. is probably written by committee, and I've been in those tasting groups, and you have too, and I've been you know, tasting with the winemakers. At a winery where they're, you know, we're going to come up with a tasting note, and they're just picking out all kinds of flavors, and I'm going dial it back, yeah, and they go, no okay, yeah, dark fruit, right? <laughs> yeah. That's right, white but, flowers, right? So, so what do you have? This one's just as good, medium gold straw color. So it's not clear yellow straw color. This one's medium golden straw. Aromas of juicy gooseberry, passion fruit, custard, turmeric. <laughs> And long wet grass, <laughs> not short wet grass, but no, long indeed. wet grass with satiny, silky, vibrant, fruity, light body, and a graceful, interesting, medium to long cardamom, starfruit, and Korean melon finish. <laughs> An outgoing Sauvignon Blanc with a smiling bird per- big personality. Okay, that line I like. You just tell me that last line, I'll yeah. buy the wine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. I don't yeah. need the rest of it. Yeah, long wet grass. Not not short wet grass. No, 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 no. And passion fruit custard. Passion fruit. And Korean melon, by the way, is, tastes kind of like honeydew melon and pears. So why not just a melon that people would know? Well, because that would make them seem normal. Yes, and uh, medium to long, no, graceful, like. interesting, medium to long cardamom, starfruit, and Korean melon finish. Yes, somebody needs to go in and say, "Okay, you only get twelve words." Yes, well, I think pick the twelve that really matter. I suspect this site of experts is they all chip one in. Could know? be, and everybody's got to find something that somebody else doesn't have. Or it's a site where they get paid by the word, and these people got They got to write a hundred word description, or they don't get paid. Well, go for the really, 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 really good. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Okay. All right. Uh, we've got a couple more questions for you. And a reminder: ask us one. Come on, Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter at Rick and Paul. What? So this one is a good one. Oh uh, yeah. And this is, uh, you know what? I forgot to write down the person who sent us. Uh-huh. Um, well, that's typical. Yeah, it's sort of me. Okay. Uh, so what, this was what's a mid palate. What's a? What's a mid-palate? A mid-palate. I always hear wine geeks say, oh, this wine has a lovely mid-palate. Uh-huh. Is that something on our tongue, or do they mean in the middle of tasting it? And then wouldn't it be mid-taste? Well, first of all, great question and spot on, because mid-palate does actually mean as you're tasting the wine. It's what happens in the middle of the taste. In the middle of the taste. So mid-taste is actually a better description. It's a better description. Yep. And yep. it brings to mind one of my all-time favorite wine descriptors. Taught to me by a winemaker many, many years ago. Minerality? No, this is a wine that he said had no mid-palate at all. But that's not what he said. He said, this is a donut wine. 
Oh. Well, that I like. Isn't that great? Yes. Because what it means is big bunches of stuff up front and not a bad finish, but in the middle, it just kind of... kind of goes away. We know that. And we've all had that wine. Right. Yeah, I like that. A donut one. Yeah. yeah. I've, I've always hated the term mid-palate. And it doesn't seem right. It well, just seems like the middle of the taste. And, okay. Yeah, I, so, I, so. Uh, whoever asked that question, so yes. they, they're right. Look, we'll look it up and on the next show. We'll give you credit for it. because it's, it's a good question. All right. This one is from Eduardo in Marin. And whereas, what's the deal with those cement eggs some wineries were showing us in Sonoma? Um, they said they were way different from barrels. Why would that be? Well, two this, reasons. They're they're not wood. Three reasons. And they're adorable. <laughs> they're made of cement. <laughs> yeah, those aren't the reasons. <laughs> first of all, adorable really helps warm. <laughs> first of all, is wood gives flavor. To wine and the uh, eggs. Uh, wait don't. a minute. Could you, uh, uh, we? Too, too bad we're not uh, here. a video because yeah, I made a, Paul dis- was, described a flavor by spreading his hands out and then wiggling his fingers. That's right. So that, is that so sign language for flavor that I don't know? Wood gives flavor. Wood yes. gives flavor. So the eggs don't give that wood flavor to the wine, and then they are in most cases larger than most barrels. So the volume of wine is different, which means it kind of changes and ages more slowly. And then the third thing is that because of their shape, they have more surface area to collect the dead yeast cells and sediment on the bottom. And that actually, the interaction of that with the wine is actually one of the things that you want to have happen in a barrel. So in each one of those cases, what happens in an egg is slightly different from what happens in a barrel. It's also that, you know, I've heard wine makers talk about, uh, I always like the word convection just because I understand it because I know what a convection oven is. But what they're saying is that, in essence, the flow of air in there because of uh-huh. the shape yeah. moves around. So it gets the yep. wine moving around a bit within it, within that little container. All of which, all of these are fairly minor differences. Absolutely. But they're absolutely fun for winemakers. I mean, winemakers are just complete gearheads and they just can't wait right. to try a new And technique. while we make fun of the descriptions of you know of them spending all their time telling us the details God bless them for trying all this stuff because yeah. it's their jobs and it's yeah. fun. Yep. And they do have fun with it. Yes and it is and they do look great in a winery. You know you go in a winery has got them lined up. They, they just... always remind me of Rick's head. <laughs> well it's maybe why I like them so much. <laughs> Alright we do have one more question today this is from Ellen in Napa and she Good. says how long can I store my good wines? Uh, I have a pretty small wine refrigerator for those and any tips on storing wines that don't fit in that refrigerator? Uh, yes, do not put the wines that don't fit in the refrigerator on top of the refrigerator. Yes, that's actually a very good point. You no, know, because right. in fact the inside of the refrigerator is cool, but all of the heat from the inside of the refrigerator is being baked out the back of the refrigerator and the coils and 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 vibrating. So yeah. what Paul's saying, don't put the, like a little wine rack on top of it. That's not a good if idea. If you have more wine than fits in your fridge, you have two options. One of them is to find a nice, cool, dark closet and just bury it down there with a bunch of other wine. The more wine, the better, because actually it creates thermal mass and it changes temperature really slowly that And that's way. an important thing is not having temperature change very the much. The other option is to fill your fridge to the brim and then just drink everything else. Yeah. Well, the third option is to invite me over. <laughs> I will take care of many of, that, many of those that's fine That's not a good option. Your, it's not nearly as good an option because you will not be able to taste any of the wine. Yeah, Rick yeah. will drink it but, all. But fundamentally, it's cool, dark, and still. Those yes. are the things. And in terms of how long, boy, that's a that's going to be a range. Yes. Um, and, you know, the depending cooler, on— The cooler, the darker, and the stiller, right. the longer you can store your wines. It depends on the style of wine, right. but 
you know, I've stored wines. I I have wines that are 20, 30 years old in my cellar, and most of them are still pretty good. Yep. I mean, I picked them because they would age that long, but they're pretty good. And if they are good wines, then they, you know, well-made, and there's, they're probably— And and designed to age, designed not to age. designed to be drunk tomorrow. Yeah, and that's, that's a range. And whites are probably wines with some decent acidity or decent sugar. It's like yes. sweet, sweet Rieslings yep. with reds. You know, wines with a decent amount of tannin. Tannin helps the wine age. And acid. And acid as well. Um, and, and when in doubt, ask the winery. They can give you a little bit of help. Best solution of all is to buy a case and just drink it slowly and figure out as it goes well, along. that's always one of the great theories on wine is how many of a wine you should get so that you have at, some at least to drink. Three. Yeah, that's, I know. At that's, least I, I, I've come to agree with you on that one. Yep. I hate to admit it, but I do. Yeah, well, um, so, Ellen, I hope that's a little bit of a help. Yeah. Yeah, we've helped somebody, Paul. I think we should end the show now. <laughs> Let's get out of here fast. Quick. All right. Well, that's it for another round of Bottle Talk with Rick Paul. <laughs> <laughs> Our producer is... Anthony Van Hook, Thank who you, manages Anthony. to put up with us no matter what. Our associate producer is Jeremy Marin. Thanks to Capital Public Radio for the serious use and for including us on their podcast lineup. And don't forget, look for us, ask us a question, send us a bad wine review uh, on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter at, at Rick and Paul Wine. If you learned anything today, we hope that Sauvignon Blanc is pretty delicious. And despite Rick's silly s- studies, you can still find some pretty good ones at good prices. Great prices, but not Screen Me Eagle. <laughs> don't, no. Don't go for that one. No. I'm Rick Cushman. And I'm Paul Wagner. Remember, the best wines are the ones you drink with friends. Or with us. Especially us. And that means you, Ellen. 